0: To get started, visit plushcare.com weight weightloss. That's plushcare.com weight weightloss. Welcome, 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 everybody, to the Hockey Think Tank podcast brought to you! The Hockey Think a website for all players, parents and coaches to go to get a little bit of education and a little bit of inspiration regarding the greatest game on the planet. What an episode we have for you guys here today. This is another lost episode. But this time, Jeff and I, we're going to get on and do a new intro for the Lost episode to tell you guys a little bit about what these are all about. And this Lost episode was with Bob Mancidi, who is ADM director with USA Hockey. What a candid, awesome conversation this was. But before we do get over to Bob, let's bring on another candid and awesome guy in a one GMBM, Jeffrey J. Who Levecki Yo, facts. What's up today, my man?
1: Much brother, just uh sitting in front of my new desk, my new setup, my home office. Now everybody can't chirp me for hopping the boards every time I had to do a podcast. So, uh, yeah, I'm feeling good, bro. I like it. Repping
0: GMBM, I see your uh, your Boston Bruins jersey behind you, I see your Western Michigan jersey behind you. That's you're a cheddar, you're, you're going, man.
1: That's a cheddar right there. That's <laughs> does not stand for cupcakes. <laughs>
0: Oh, does it stand for calves?
1: (laughs) It doesn't stand for calves either, that's for (laughs) sure. (laughs)
0: I like it, man. I like it. Well, we got a lot to get to. And uh, it's crazy. Like, I feel like I haven't talked to you in forever. So much has been going on over the past couple weeks. And, you know, as many of you know, uh, I got the director of hockey ops job at the University of Michigan and had about (laughs) a week and a half to two weeks to move my entire family from the Chicagoland area up to Ann Arbor. So we are all settled in. We are in a townhouse that we're renting. It's uh, about 15 minutes from the big house and Yost ice arena. And it's about 0.2 miles away from my daughter's kindergarten and my other daughter's daycare, which is awesome. to get to walk to school, which is pretty neat. And yeah, it's been an absolute whirlwind, man. I mean, it's been kind of like a week and a half to two weeks of work that should have been the whole summer, you know, to to do. And But we're all just so excited. Um, And it's uh, just such a unique and awesome opportunity to work with Brandon Nerado, who we've had on the podcast. Uh, Rob Rassi, who's been on the podcast quite a few times with our Windy City Development talks that we've been doing. Uh, and then Billy McCault, who, uh, you know, just a former NHL player, associate head coach here at University of Michigan, won a national championship here. And we are hitting the ground running, man. Uh, we get on the ice with the guys for the first time tomorrow and uh, four weeks away from from game one, our exhibition game. So, uh, again, usually you have an entire summer to to prepare for a lot of this stuff. We're uh, a little bit shorter on time, but really, really exciting The the players have been awesome. uh, What a cool group of guys to work with and uh so excited about that. And uh yeah, man, it's, it's been really cool so far.
1: Yeah. I, I'm so jealous of you. You're like back, back in the game, baby. And it is, dude, at this the is best big place time. Possible.
0: This is big time athletics here too. At the university of Michigan. Like it was, it was insane. So this weekend was the first football game, Got down on the field, uh, got to check out Jim Harbaugh doing warm ups with his guys and stuff. And then uh, was up in like the president's suite and the athletic director's suite after that. You know, how
1: presidente? A, <laughs>
0: yeah. Hockey's a big deal here at Michigan and get a lot of great resources and uh, a lot of support. And it's big time athletics, man. It's really, really, really cool. God, man. So exciting. So exciting. <laughs> Unreal. Yeah, And the team, the team won the big 10 championship last year. So we're actually going uh, before the game to the 50 yard line at the football game and getting recognized. So I get to go out there. Like I had anything to do with it (laughs) (laughs) coming in and riding the coattails, Uh, but you know, big house, like 109,000 people right? It's so, so, so cool. And um, yeah, it's been really fun. It's been really fun. So really challenging just with the amount of time we have to prepare for the season and stuff, but um, we're running on all cylinders and it's going to be a blasty blast.
1: Love to hear it, dude.
0: So stoked for you.
1: (laughs) Very, very, very much earned. Very exciting.
0: Thank you, man. So uh, with that, we do have some updates on the podcast. I've, I don't know about you, dude, but like I've had so many people ask me what's happening with the hockey thing. So many people. What's happening with the podcast? What are you guys going to be doing? And we're just gonna be straight up with you guys. That's all that's All we have been for the past four years, just being upfront and honest. And we really, really, really want to continue doing this. Uh, it's something that Jeff and I, and I'll let you talk about it too, but we enjoy so much doing this. We enjoy getting on with each other every week. Uh, we enjoy learning from some unbelievable guests that we bring on here. And especially we really enjoy Um, understanding the impact that this podcast has had on so many different people in the hockey world and not even in the hockey world, but in, outside the hockey world as well with the feedback that we get from people that we see in rinks or that uh, get a hold of us on social media or by email or however you guys get a hold of us and so we really want to continue to do this the only thing that is tough is that <laughs> there's not any time i shouldn't say there's not any time but there's not a lot of time to do it how we have been doing it so just to to take you behind the curtain jeff and i get on once a week and uh, we do our conversation with our guest. We do our intro. And then with me doing the hockey think tank full time, I would go, I would edit it. I would put all the social media stuff together, put that all out there. And so I just I just don't have the time to do that anymore as the director of hockey operations
1: at the University uh, of Michigan, <laughs> at
0: Michigan here. Right. So um, so what we want to do is we're going to throw this out there. We we so want to continue doing this and we're going to continue doing this. And we just need a little bit of help. And so what we're looking for is for somebody to come and help us produce this podcast. For those of you that listen to Spit and Chick we need a Mike Grinelli to come on and and really help us with the editing and behind the scenes work and the social media stuff um, that has helped us to grow our podcast to, to new heights. And, and it has grown so much over the years that we've been doing this. Um, typically, that's stuff that I have done and Jeff has done as well. And, and we just, we, we can't, do that as much anymore. So uh we would love to to hire somebody, we'll pay you uh to to come in and and do a lot of the behind the scenes work. So if you're really passionate about hockey, if you're really passionate about uh social media and, and media in in general, maybe you want to get your foot in the door. We know some unbelievable hockey people. This can be like a a paid internship where uh, we can introduce you to some high level hockey people with whatever role that you want to be. You want to be a a GM of a, of a junior team. You want to be a scout for an NHL team. You want to, I mean, there's the, the sky's the limit. If you want to
1: be the president of the United States of America, (laughs) I don't we got you. that poll,
0: but um, <laughs> we do know a lot of people in the hockey world. So if there's anybody out there that wants to be on our team, like literally you will be a teammate of ours. Um, and yeah, I mean, the only requisites for us is that you're a go-getter and that you really love hockey. Those for me, I don't know, maybe you have other ones, but those are the two things that we're really looking for in a teammate. And if there's anybody out there, reach out to me, tofer at thehockeythinktank.com or at thehockeythinktank on Twitter or Instagram uh, or Facebook. Reach out to Jeff at Jeff Lavecchio. He's got a blue check mark on Instagram. So he's easily found on there. And uh, yeah, we're looking for somebody to be a teammate of ours. And, and we're really looking forward to that because we want to continue to do this thing day in or week in and week out.
1: Yeah, we, we really definitely do not want to stop doing this, but we're both, uh, Getting busier and busier by the day, especially toeski, in case you didn't hear, University of Michigan, not a big deal. Uh, so, you know, if somebody's interested in this, uh, can help us and maybe even help us grow even more so we can help more parents and players and coaches and everybody in the game.
0: Help me help you, Rod.
1: Show me the <laughs> Uh Yeah. And with that,
0: so uh, over the past couple of weeks, what we've done is we've put out some of the lost episodes. So we wanted to explain what that was a little bit too. And so we are under a podcast parent company called Blue Wire Pods, and they have some amazing, amazing podcasts in all different sports. And we're so thrilled to be a part of this family. And when we ended up going under Blue Wire, what was that? Probably about a year ago now, Vax, something like that. Probably. Six months to a year ago, I want to say, um, when our episodes all transferred over from our database and our host to Blue Wire's host, we actually lost our first forty-eight episodes, and we've been really working with them to try to get that back up on our feed. But there's literally no end around or workaround that can get them up there. So we literally, our first forty-eight episodes are are lost. However, we do have them <laughs> on a drive, you know, on an external hard drive. So we still do have the audio of that. And so, what we've been doing over the past couple of weeks, and that's what this episode is as well, is we've been taking some podcast episodes from our first 48 that really had an impact on us and really had an impact on the hockey world based on the feedback that we've been getting. And we're re-releasing those episodes because they were, they were very educational, very inspirational, very, um, just a big part of our podcast. And so, uh, with that this week, we are doing Bob Mancini, who is an ADM manager with USA Hockey. And this was a phenomenal, phenomenal conversation. We, it was a tough conversation too, because we asked Bob some really tough questions. I know there's a lot of people that I don't want to say are USA hockey haters, but there's a lot of people who have a lot of questions for USA hockey about why they do certain things that they do. And we asked Bob a lot of those questions and he was very upfront and candid and honest about a lot of them. Hey, maybe we messed up in this place. Hey, maybe if we think about things in a different way, like it, it was just a really, 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 cool conversation that I think a lot of people, especially in the U S can get a lot out of. And, uh, so we're re-releasing this one this week. And, and we think, um, I, again, it's a lost episode that is nowhere to be found as aside from my hard drive. And it's going to have a real impact on people, I think.
1: And I, I, you know, I love Bobby. I love Bob Mancini. Anybody who's been listening to, uh, our podcast from the beginning and We've had him on a couple of times. You know, I always get excited when Bob comes on. He's a great guy, (laughs) great friend. Um, You know, he's done a lot for our podcast, honestly. Uh, Just love his passion for hockey. So uh, you guys who haven't heard this one or for you guys who have listened and it's been a minute, you guys are going to really, really like this one.
0: Absolutely. So before we get over to Bob, we do have some people to thank. I want to thank Gel Sticks, our title sponsor, G-E-L-S-T-X.com. Go there for the best weighted training aids. So it's right around the start of the season. You want to work on your shot in your basement, on the ice, in the garage, the driveway, wherever it is, uh, get a Gel Sticks. And if you go there, use the coupon code THINKTANK1WORD and you will get a discount on your weighted training sticks.
1: I want to thank uh, Train Heroic. That's where all of my training online and with my guys in person in the gym now we use it to track everything in person as well. Just want to say thanks to them. My new in-season uh, strength training program will be dropping by the time this podcast comes out. So that will be starting uh, beginning of September here. Anybody who wants to join for just $35 a month, it's going to be a basic... Um, four-day-a-week program for in-season training. In-season training is not the sexy stuff you see on Instagram. It's meat and potatoes. Know what you're going to get out of the gym so that everything you can focus on on the ice, that's all that matters is using the gym to stay strong. Younger players maybe get a little stronger and just really help you stay healthy and strong throughout the entire season. So thank you to Train Heroic for that and then also Cure Nutrition, the CBD company that I'm with. been using them for months and months now. I have know tons of you have uh, have tried it out and are absolutely loving it from the DMs you sent me that you bought it from listening to the podcast. Uh, like you guys all know, been hitting the head quite a few times. CBD definitely helps to keep my anxiety down. It helps me sleep better, it helps me recover from my workouts and just uh, be more clear mentally, I'd say. So those are the benefits that I feel. But if you have questions about it, you can reach out to me on Instagram, blue checkmark, Jeff Levecchio. It's curednutrition.com. My discount code is obviously GMBM
0: there we go and also want to thank icehockeysystems.com, systems.com the best site for all your coaching parent and player education needs and guys this is awesome uh we've used this uh, a lot to store our drills and pass them on to our players and all the other coaches in our organizations it's really really easy to use and we have partnered with them to do an associations platform where you can get this for every single one of your coaches in your organization and you can give this to all of your parents as well because they have the hockey think tank parent survival guide and so go to icehockeysystems.com look up the associations tab and you can get this for everyone within your organization make your players better make your Parents better make your coaches better, and it is a hockey director's dream. So, again, icehockeysystems.com. And uh, again, before we do get over to Bob, we need a teammate, guys. We would love a teammate to to be a part of this team. We've kind of been a two man crew for four <laughs> years now, and we're looking for somebody that's hungry, somebody that loves hockey, somebody that's a go getter. And uh, can really help us take the podcast to the next level. I think this this podcast has another level to get to for sure. And we're always trying to get better. And, and we want to have somebody as a part of our team who can help us to do that. So like I said, reach out to us. Uh, we're looking for an, an awesome teammate to, to take this to the moon. And uh, another person that's going to help us take this to the moon is a one Robert Bob Mancini. And so without further ado, here we go.
2: Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price,
0: price Priceline. We are so excited to have on this episode of the Hockey Think Tank podcast Bob Mancini, who is an ADM regional manager with USA Hockey. Uh, His coaching resume, as we talked about in the opening, is. Pretty, pretty extensive, and he's been in a lot of different places, so we're really, really happy to have him on here today. So, Bob, how you doing out in Michigan today?
2: Uh, great, Topher. It's a beautiful winter day, and uh, we'll have hockey later on this evening, so everything's good.
0: <laughs> I love it. I love it. Uh, well, getting right into it, um, the first thing that we wanted to ask you, just a little bit about your background, because, um, you know, you've been – your experience in, in the game of hockey is unbelievable. You've been in a lot of different places and held a lot of different roles. and you know, You've been an assistant coach and a head coach at the NCAA level. You know, you've coached at the World Juniors. You've worked in the NHL as a development coach and as a scout. You've been a head coach in the OHL. You know, you've been to, uh, to countries like South Africa and Romania to, to help out with their hockey programs. Now you're you know, one of the biggest guys doing grassroots stuff at, at USA Hockey. Um, you know, what has that experience been like for you? You know, what have you learned from being in, in so many different spots? And talk to us a little bit about maybe some of the differences between what you've learned and, and even some of the consistent things that you've learned um, from spot to spot.
2: Yeah, it's really interesting, Tophie. You know, there's a, there's a quote that I I often uh, repeat and think about, right? Don't tell me how much uh, you've learned. Tell me how much you've traveled. And uh, <laughs> I, I look at that a little bit on my career, and the places that I've been, and, you know, it's not, you know, experience is a wonderful thing, and I love all the experience I've had, and, and I take a something from every one of them, and it's really funny, right? I talk to my NCAA friends, and, uh, you know, all my time in the OHL was like the dark side to them, and I talk <laughs> to the OHL guys that are still my friends, and it's like, oh, my gosh, you know, what are the differences, and, you know, really, you, you really wanted to go back, and, and just... Just so much, but I, I look at it as I'm so fortunate because it's not just the experience that you have while you're there, but by then moving on or doing something else, that reflection of those experiences, right? There's something about being, uh, you know, in the moment of the job you're doing and what you're doing, but also when you leave that job, looking back and saying, okay, what are the things from that job that I learned? You know, how did I become a better hockey player? And uh, I just I just consider myself so fortunate for doing all those things. And, you know, some of them weren't full-time gigs, right? I mean, my time with Romania, that is all about USA Hockey and USA Hockey's commitment to the IIHF and their commitment to help developing hockey countries be better. And, you know, my time with South Africa started as uh, the same thing started as a relationship with USA hockey. Uh, How can we help South Africa become a better hockey playing nation? And the IIHF deserves so much credit because we're not the only federation doing this, right? Uh, um, Hockey Canada is out there, Sweden, uh, um, Hockey Finland, the Finnish Ice Hockey uh, Association. Um, You know, there are a lot of countries doing their part to help develop the game you know, everywhere in the world. Um, and and I've been really fortunate to to have had these experiences. And uh, you know everyone is different, but I tell you this, and 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 to me, it's the one thing or the line or the thread that really connects probably every single experience I've had in hockey, and especially the international ones, is the passion. Of people involved in the game. Yep. Like when I was in South Africa, they had 600 um, players, you know, and that's talking about men, women, adults, youth, girls, boys, everybody. They had 600 uh, players. At the time, they had four and a half rings basically. Now they have six. Um, but those kids and those adults and even the national team their passion for the game and what they would do to play, uh, you know, to give you a quick example, we would have national team. This is the men's national team. And, you know, we played in division three. We want to, we want a gold medal in division three one year and moved up to division two. And these guys were so passionate. They all had other jobs. they their main source of income. They weren't getting paid by the national team. They paid for their hockey. They paid for their travel going to world championships they funded themselves wow. paid out of their pocket to go to world championships and our practice were either these were our practices our best practices were 6 30 in the morning instead of 6 a.m and we also practiced some nights at 10 or 10 30 at night and when you you think about the passion of a man or a woman with their women's team who's holding out a full-time job taking vacation and doing that just to play the game of ice hockey there's really this common thread for all of us of just how much we love the game
1: that's really cool bob and um you know for the listeners i'm sure most of the people listening know who you are and i got to meet you at at one of the usa hockey clinics here in missouri recently and you know tof always talks about perspective and how when you gain perspective on things, you know, you you just you're going to become a better person, better hockey player or whatever. And I feel like with all those travels, um, seeing all these different countries playing hockey and, you know, OHL, college hockey, profe- NHL, you know, Liberia, wherever you're going to grow <laughs> you're you're gaining gaining just this massive perspective and that's why you're able to be such a powerful speaker and have so much passion and in knowing that that you believe the ADM is the right way to go for USA hockey and and the country of of ours moving forward with hockey and you just have so much perspective so when people push back it's like well where where are you coming from with your pushback what are you seeing that is working or isn't working And, and you know like You don't have all these experiences that a guy like Bob Mancini does, and he believes in it. So I just think that that's pretty important to note.
2: Yeah, Well, I appreciate that, Jeff, and it's a funny story. And, you know, I I, I go back and and the hockey community is such a wonderful community, right? And, you know, when we have those clinics and we can connect as coaches, paid coaches, volunteered, USA hockey coaches, whatever it is. That relationship is so important, and I really could only think in 35 years of hockey, there was one time I felt in talking to another coach that they were trying to hide something, like, oh, I have the secret and I'm not going to share it with everybody else."
0: That must have been in the, that must have been else. in the NHL because nobody in the NHL ever wants <laughs> to share that stuff, so that must have been your time there. Yeah.
2: <laughs> Well, you know what's funny about that, Topher? I hear that more and more now. You know, when it's been, I don't know, let's see, 10, 10 years since my last bit in the NHL, and then you go back another six before that and then another 10 before that because I've been in the National Hockey League three different times. But um, and, and maybe it is an internal thing, but I was so impressed when I was with the Oilers of the openness and willingness to share uh, from guys like Kevin Lowe and Charlie Huddy and Craig McTavish uh, and Kevin Prendergast, just these guys that lived through that Euler dynasty. And, you know, I remember, and, and I, I, I have to tell this story because it was such uh, a moment for me. Kevin Lowe had, everybody at his house for a barbecue during training camp, all the staff, right? Scout staff, everybody. And there was a point where a bunch of us was sitting around this long table eating. And we were talking about, I don't even remember the exact subject, but hockey, obviously. And Kevin turned to me and said, Bob, what do you think? You know, and, and just that moment when Kevin Lowe asked Bob Mancini, Hey, what do you think? I realized then just how great our community is and how important. And I hope every day when I'm working for USA hockey, when I'm out in the field and I'm talking to coaches of youth hockey players, Nate and under coaches, that I can bring that same kind of perspective of, okay, here's my thoughts, but what is it that you think? And, and it might be one of the greatest parts of my job is to, to touch base or, or, you know interact with all these youth hockey coaches right now
0: awesome yeah i love it i think that uh you know it's it's funny because it, to be completely honest and transparent, like it, like before we do these interviews and we have had all these people on like Jeff and I like to text a bunch of people and say hey we 're having so and so on the podcast um, you know what are some examples of some questions you want to ask them and this probably doesn 't come as a big surprise to you, but when we said that we were having somebody from USA hockey on peop- like my phone lit up for like three days straight <laughs> like, <laughs> ask him this question, ask him this question, ask him this question, ask him this question, oh my god, uh, this is wrong, this is wrong, this is wrong we gotta fix this, that, that, that. Um, so, like, just I, like people need to know that USA hockey, because I feel like that's a misconception, at least one of the misconceptions that people have, is that, you know, with the ADM rolling out. Um, I think there's some people out there that would probably disagree with you and what you're saying in in the sense that, you know, I know that you guys want to learn and you guys have traveled the world. You know, you've studied Finland, you've studied Canada, you've studied Sweden. I've seen the numbers and the data and all that kind of stuff. Um, But people still have this misconception that it's my way or the highway um, in terms of what you guys are trying to implement with the ADM. And I think the biggest part of that comes to mites, you know, the cross ice hockey. Mm-hmm. And th- there, that's another misconception is that the ADM is just about mites and just about cross ice hockey. So Jeff and I wanted to introduce a new segment, uh, to this, um, to this podcast. And, uh, we don't have any theme music or anything like that, but, uh, Jeff, I'll let you take it okay. from here. And we have just a, a question for you when it comes to just the stuff that we're talking about here.
1: So right, but- Bob, Bob, our, uh, our uncle Tim, Tim Scott out of Chicago, unbelievable hockey, youth hockey coach. Like he instills in the kids and, and develops, you know, morals and character and work ethic and, and all that. And he blends kind of the old school with with the new school way of thinking of teaching and coaching very well. He's very good for kids, um, but he's also super passionate and not the biggest fan of the ADM. So we're going to mm-hmm. start a, 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 a new segment called. Ask Uncle Tim <laughs> from Chicago. Okay. This is question six of Uncle Tim. Yeah, this was, this
0: was lengthy. The, the text that we got, we won't do them. We're just going to do question six. But it was a lengthy, le- lengthy text message that we got from him. <laughs>
1: <laughs> okay. So okay. Question six from Ask Uncle Tim is, within the ADM literature, There is a lot of information on the ages of 5 to 12 being the golden age of development, which is the reason for station-based practices and cross eyes games, more touches, more work on skills. His question is, why isn't there as much emphasis in hockey sense? The brain is developing at the same time as the body, right? He's seen many players who lack the physical ability to compete with those who excel physically because of their hockey IQ. But is the ADM geared more towards skill development versus developing hockey sense.
2: Yeah it, it's a great question and it's a bit of a misperception. The first let's talk about that skill development and the golden age of skill development. The golden age of skill development really starts at around age 9. But when we look at this it's not a open and closed window of skill development. Right? We know we can make kids better or uh, exponentially better starting their age at age nine. But we shouldn't stop skill development at 12. Skill development goes on 12, 13, 14, 15, 16. In fact, you know, you have uh, the skill coaches in the NHL, development coaches in the NHL, and this is their job. So, you know, while that window opens and it gives us as coaches an opportunity for skill development, it doesn't shut right? And it doesn't open really at age five. I mean, you certainly can work on some fundamental and foundational skills then, but you're really not going to work on more technical skills until after the age of of eight, like I said, starting at nine. Uh, The hockey sense thing is one of those misperceptions, I think, of the ADM. And we believe hockey sense is a skill. We believe awareness is a skill. And, you know, children start to truly develop spatial awareness once again at the age of nine. Now, you want to introduce different uh, on-ice concepts to them in small area games, which allows them to start learning about space on the ice, even younger than age nine, right? At seven and eight, um, you want to do that. But starting at age nine is when the push really becomes for awareness and decision-making. And if you look at our materials at age nine, two of the largest points of what we need to do for our players is awareness and decision-making. And then the next one under that is through small area games, allow the players, um, you know, a canvas, so to speak, in learning that. So we find this a lot, uh, Jeff, is that, um, you know, when, when we rolled out the ADM, you know, in our rollout, like we're the first ones to be critical of the rollout. There was so much information and I've gone to so many clinics where the question is, you talk about skill for 20 minutes because someone asked you a skill question and then someone else raised their hand and says, yeah, that's great, but you guys never talk about hockey sense. Well, we do, sir, but this guy just asked me about skill. Right. So then you discuss hockey sense, and you do twenty, thirty minutes on hockey sense, and then someone says, "You know what the problem with the ADM is? You guys never talk about goaltending." Well, okay, let's let's talk about goaltending. So I think sometimes these questions are not really we don't, we don't, we don't. It's just that there's so much information out there and so much stuff that we have to convey. Sometimes the messaging gets a little bit convoluted. But we are huge proponents of teaching awareness, decision-making, and the beginnings of hockey sense at a very young age. What we were against at 8 and under is teaching kids rules of the game, offsides, face-offs, things that we know as kids get older are much easier for them to comprehend, takes less time up on or off the ice and should be added or we feel should be added after the kids have a good foundation of skills so they can execute those things. There's nothing worse than watching what people might say is a well-coached nine-year-old team or a well-coached 11-year-old <laughs> team and see kids who go to so-called breakout positions, which, by the way, I'm not a big fan of anyway, but go to their so-called breakout positions every time the puck goes or gets dumped into their zone. And you watch this, and you think, wow, look at what that coach has done. And you watch 10 breakouts, and four of them, the left wing can't make a pivot from forward to backward to forward to catch a pass. The left defenseman can't make a pass to the right defenseman who can't catch a pass. You know, the, the center can't get his feet up the ice because he's not enough, a good enough skater to come low and find that space. And, we you know, we have the miscarriage, oh, that's a really well-coached team. Well, I'm really not sure it is at that age. So, yeah. anyway, I, I digress here. But I think I may have answered uh, the ask the first-ever Ask Tim
0: question. I hope I did. <laughs>
1: You definitely did, but but that that team that you just used for an example, they have a great winning record, and the kids know how to do the systems. I'm yes. kidding. I'm kidding. Yes.
2: I'm no, kidding. no, but it's true. It's true. like let's let's face it. and I sometimes i I hate talking about this. Because, you know, there are coaches out there who will take this information and run with it, right? But I joke in my clinics I, all the time, and Jeff, I may have even brought it up in the clinic that you and I met at, is, hey, if you want to win Wee hockey games, if you want to win scored hockey games, it's really simple. Rim the puck on every breakout. Don't let your kids handle it or make a decision. When it gets to the neutral zone, as soon as you get it over the red line, dump it in deep, and only let the center forge you. Make your wings come up the wall and stop on the hash marks. Don't let your defensemen join the play, but instead of bringing the dots inside and, you know, never let them make the decisions, never let them use uh, creativity, hold them to the most simple of systems where you can limit their mistakes and you will win a lot of squirt and peewee hockey games because nine, 10, 11 year olds make a lot of mistakes. So if all you're doing is limiting the mistakes of your team, you'll win a lot of games because the other team will make more mistakes. Now, at the end of the season, one could really argue that your team will not have gotten any better. Your kids will not have gotten any better. But certainly, as you guys know, we see this, and we mistake it for good coaching at that age. Whereas, in my opinion, good coaching is allowing that creativity, of the player to flourish, putting them in situations where they have passion for the game. They are improving every day. They want to come to the rink and you're giving them the opportunity to try new things so they can learn on their own. Absolutely. Do we have to guide them? Yes. Do we have to sometimes help them connect the dots? Yes. But we also have to let them play.
1: Yeah, Bob, I mean, I've, you know, for Toph and I's personal viewpoints, which are pretty similar, I mean, I a hundred percent think you hit the nail on the head and and I wouldn't even go as to far, as far as to say, maybe that guy's a good coach. I would say that coach is terrible. (laughs) Um, you're, you're literally limiting growth, limiting creativity, not letting them think for themselves at such an early age. Like you can teach a kid to be a robot. I got taught to be a robot in juniors. And that's when it becomes a business. That's when it's like real. But up until then, my whole thing is like, let's develop everything like you're saying, you know, and I think something that you touched on about, about the ask uncle, uh, uncle Tim ask question there is that you have to create drills or take drills from USA hockey that the, the whole goal of that game of that small area game is you're working on hockey sense. You're working on um, spatial awareness and quick decisions. And, you know, it, it's not just a game for no reason. You either come up with games yourself or you get them from other coaches where the whole point of the drill is a game and have fun. But as a coach, you're teaching them, you know, how to use their hockey sense, develop it, learn it, all those things.
0: Well, I'll interject here too, because, I mean, Bob, you know this from being a coach in college and, and having been a recruiter and a director of player personnel and scout, you know, we're looking for kids that can think outside the box. You know, like there's times where I love it when a defenseman, his first option. You know which is the option that everybody should go to but you know what maybe that first option is taken away now we got to be creative and find a second option kind of like a quarterback going through his progressions you know I want to have a guy uh, like a forward who makes a play you know when uh when maybe they're you know th- again his first option is is not there because the defense has taken it away so I think that development of that thinking outside the box and being able to make a play I mean promoting that I think USA hockey does I mean for all the coaches that are out there listening the peewee coaches and the band Coaches and even the midget coaches, like you gotta let your kids make plays. That's what we're looking for. That's what's gonna get you to the next level. Like, I'm not looking for a guy that knows how to play a system. You know, like there's plenty of people I could teach him that when I get to the older levels. Um, I want I want somebody that can make so, a play.
2: <laughs> isn't that funny that we can have this conversation and at the highest levels, we know this, yet we battle at eight and under about how are the kids going to learn the game if we don't teach them a face-off play? Right. I mean, let's think about that. You know, that progression here. We're just talking about what you guys have, have said, and we're all agreeing on how important that is. Yet we're having an argument that eight-year-olds need to play full life so they can learn offsides and face-offs. It's ego. You know, I think, it, I,
1: think it, I think it comes down to ego, coaches, and and you know me as a first-year coach. There are times inside because I want to win, but I want to – make the kids better first of all. And I, and I, you know, I deep down, I want to win, but I have to keep telling myself, like, it's all about their development as long as they're better at the end of the year. And they're trying as hard as they can to win. Like, obviously that's first and foremost, you know, just being a competitor, but like inside, I, I never want to lose, but I got to keep saying, okay, I want these kids to keep trying things. Obviously end of the year it's playoffs. Like they have to know when to try things, when not to, cause they're 18 and they're going to go to juniors next year. So like, we're always trying to work that it's just, you got to find that. Balance of like telling them to try things and mistakes are okay. And I can't remember if it was um, was it Nerado or Hardy or Nicholas we had on that told that we were talking about. Well, how would you push this this idea of we want you to keep trying things, but then the first time they mess up, you know, how do you react to that? Do you because most coaches I feel like are like, oh, try stuff. Try. Oh my God, you turned it over. You better dump it in next time. <laughs> no, so it's kind of yeah. like a that's the teaching key. thing. That's how
2: you react is absolutely Yeah, I'm sorry. How you react is absolutely the key, right? You can say everything you want, but how you react when it happens is the key. And it's hard, Jeff, to your point. um, How much control are you willing to give up? And is it age appropriate, (laughs) right? Uh, I mean, you at 18U, you may give up a little less control than you have to if you're coaching 12U. Right, Because as you said, part of your job, part of the importance of what you're doing is to prepare the kids for the next level. But what we have sometimes is 10- and 12-year-old coaches who are looking at the game to prepare these kids for how they see the game at the National Hockey League level, or it's the structure of the game at the National Hockey League level. And I want to be clear there, because I absolutely believe we should be looking at the game at the very highest levels. And say how does that translate to what we're doing at the youth level? And Tophy, you said it, right? If you're looking up there and now you're you're transferring it down to those kids, hey, the game is about hockey sense, it is about decisions, it is about creativity. We're seeing that in the NHL right now. So how do we how do we encourage that at the youth levels?
0: Yeah, for sure. Well, well. So, how, how what would you answer to that question? How do you encourage that at the youth levels, and what would you do?
2: Well, I, I I think you have to allow kids the opportunity to be creative, and you have to ask questions more than dictate, and you have to be willing to lose games and have the kids make mistakes because that's how they learn. I played for Lou Vero in junior hockey, this is going back millions of years ago, and. Lou, uh, you know, he had just come back from Russia at the time, and he was trying all kinds of things in Austin, Minnesota, with his team. And I remember him telling a defenseman who I played college hockey with later on, Jeff Lundgren, we were trying, Jeff, he wanted the defenseman to come around the net, and we always had a player stretching to the the red line, because at the time we still had two-line pass. And he wanted Lundgren to come around the net and fire that puck to the center dot for a breakaway, right? Forward was flying. The Defenseman came and just fired it up the middle. And he kept preaching on it. Just try it. Just try it. Just try it. Don't worry about it. You'll make mistakes. Just try it. And, you know, we would try and practice and everything. And sure enough, first time Lundy comes around the net and tries it in the game, it gets picked off right around the tops of the circles, and it's in the back of our net. And Lundy comes back to the bench, and Lou looks and says, yeah,
0: that'll happen every once in a while. That was it. I like yeah, it.
2: And it just calmed us all down. It just,
1: and it allowed Jeff Lundgren to go out and try it again. And, you know, hard thing to do, isn't it? Yeah, no, it's super hard. But um, I like what Tope just said, like, how do we get to do that? And And you think about that. And what you said is, you know, we want to go to the highest level and kind of work downwards. And something that, that most, um, trainers do off the ice is called periodization. So if you envision, um, a pyramid and the base, you always want to work backwards. Um, So I go the top of the pyramid is usually like, say for an NHL player, that would be September 20th. That's when their NHL camp starts. So what that means is the top of the pyramid, that's when we have to peak. Then I work backwards periodizing. Okay. So for two weeks before we're going to do this for four weeks before, you know, we're going to do this eight weeks before I work backwards all the way to when they start their training at the end of their previous offseason. So I think, you know, I'm a visual learner. So maybe a, a good idea, and, you know, I don't even know how feasible this is, but maybe you take that, okay, coaches, especially the ones who just try and implement stuff at the NHL level for eight year olds, you say, okay, this is the skill that they're working on at the NHL level. That's the top of the pyramid. Well, now let's regress it age level by age level. So maybe, you know, the skill is, you know, whatever, I don't know, working on a breakout. OK, so they're doing these, you know, very concise, very constructed breakouts. Well, at college hockey, they should probably be doing close to the same thing. Junior hockey, decently close to the same thing. Maybe you regress a little bit and then just kind of work its way down to, OK, now when we're down to the six and eight year olds, this is the fundamental skill of that skill that's at the top of the pyramid. And we're going to work on this, even though it doesn't really look like what's at the top of the pyramid. But this is the building blocks for that skill. Oh, I, 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 agree with you hundred percent. I
2: saw something on an individual skill level over in Russia years ago. It was really interesting. They had players of different ages on the ice together and they were teaching the players different moves, different skills with their skates and their sticks and the way they did it. And, and I, I talked to some people, they didn't do this all the time, but it was really interesting. Each group of players, had a men's league, or not a men's league, but a pro league player, a junior player, an 18 and under, a 16 and under, a 14 and under, a 12 and under, and a 10 and under. That was a group. And then the pro player, it was sort of like follow the leader, or a game you would play in kindergarten. The pro player would make a move, go down and do something, and the player behind him would try to emulate it, and the next player, the next player, the next player. And it was just so interesting to watch because that 10 year old, he wasn't really trying to do what that pro player was doing. He was really trying to do what that 12 year old was doing and the 12 to the 14, right? But when you looked, you looked at the progression, it made sense, right? Because the 10 year old probably couldn't do what that pro player was doing, but he could do a version of it. So I think your point is really, really good. Do we have or could we or should we have this pyramid where where people see the big picture? When when we started rolling this out, we would talk very specifically about this age group or that age group or this situation. And as we did it more, we realized, and, you know, we have limited time. If you're talking to coaches of 10U players, you really got to talk to them about what should be done at 8U, what should be done at 10U. And then what's going to happen at 12U? Because we ran into this problem, right, of that that connection. Makes sense, right?
0: Yeah, absolutely. Um,
2: And, you know, we we made, hey, look, I'll be the first one, as all of us would be. We made a lot of mistakes in our rollout, right? We stand firm behind our theory, our philosophy, uh, what's behind the ADM and where we want it to go. But... You know, like everything else, people were resistant to change, and we made a lot of mistakes in the rollout. So a lot of what we've done in the past nine and a half years is making sure everybody understands. As And you brought this up at the beginning of the show. I don't know if it started or when we were talking before, but, you know, what are the mis, the misperceptions out there? Um, I'm going to say one more thing, and, and then we can take a laugh because I'm sure you didn't expect – to get in one question for an hour podcast and I can talk for <laughs> the <rest laughs> of okay. 58 minutes. I apologize for that. But but you know what we forget sometimes more than anything as a as a youth hockey nation looking at the ADM? The ADM is high performance development. That's what it was launched as. And that's why at 12 and under, we want our training to be the same for all kids. The best 12-year-old and the kid who's not so good. The best 10-year-old and the 10-year-old who is not so good, right? Because as you guys know and our listeners know, we don't know who that best player is going to be or who's going to become that best player after puberty. So if you look at the ADM, first of all, we have to remember the ADM is a, a method of high performance development. And the second thing is right around the age of puberty, the ADM has two tracks. It has a recreation track, and it has a high-performance track. At 12 and other words, one, we want every kid to be an athlete. We want every kid to be a hockey player. We want to give every kid the best possible training we can give them. But you know what? Right around 13, kids start making choices, and the ADM provides for the kid who just wants to play hockey and for the kid who wants to become a hockey player. And through a fourth of our own, I'm not so sure we did a great job of, excuse me, explaining that when we launched the American Development Model.
0: Interesting. Interesting. No, I, that's, uh, yeah, I didn't even know that, to be honest with you. I mean, I I feel like I'm pretty informed and and, uh, talked to a lot of guys in USA Hockey, and I didn't even know that. So um, I think that's something that's really good for for the listeners to hear. And, you know, kind of going along with what you're saying, Bob, you know, (sighs) ADM has, you know, USA Hockey is huge, and we're a big country. We got a lot of people, more people than ever that are, you know, going through and playing the game in, in America. And, you know, what, one of the questions that I wanted to ask you is I wanted you to assess USA Hockey based on what are some of its best strengths and also, what are some of the weaknesses that you guys have that you need to work on to, to make it better? Because you, know, you talk to a lot of different people, you probably get, you know, 10 different answers from 10 different people based on that question that I just asked. But, you know, now that we have you who's at the top of the pyramid so for the most part in terms of setting the foundation for youth development for USA Hockey, you know, what I think it would be great to hear, you know, what your thoughts are on, you know, what you guys do well and some of the things that you need to work on and do better. Well, you know, we
2: just uh, had our midwinter meetings and USA Hockey just launched a new uh, IT initiative. And uh, it's one of the things we have not done well. We have not, we have all this information and we haven't done a good job of pushing it out to the masses or making it available. And uh, we now have, uh, a revamp anew. We hired more people in the IT department. We now have a better technology plan where USA Hockey can better use technology to get this information out or make it available to parents, coaches, administrators, players, you know, run the gamut of everybody who's involved in USA Hockey. So I, I don't think we have used social media as well as we could. We certainly haven't used technology as well as we could, and uh, there is a real emphasis for all our departments, but I'll talk just about our hockey department and our ADM, about getting this information into the hands of the people who need it. So uh, that has to be, uh, we have to continue down that road and do that better. I um, I think sometimes, as people probably have asked you and you've alluded to, we come across as being too autocratic and people don't understand that it is a huge country with a huge population base and a big, big number of kids playing hockey and the way hockey looks in California or the way it's governed and administered and the way the, the way uh, um, the game is, oversaw, with the guidelines of the game, is very different than what it is in Missouri or the way it is in New York or the way it is in Michigan. And more often than not, people are very surprised to hear actually what USA Hockey does govern and what we don't, and then what is governed in the in the regions. And I, I go back to when I did the director of player personnel for the national team, this is back 96 to 2000. And I would get calls from people saying, "You've got to come see this kid. He is the best player in Massachusetts, right? And he may have been, but that person's viewpoint, his their scope of what they know is Massachusetts. Yeah. And that player, while he might have been a great player, he might have been twelfth on our list of defensemen." Because Minnesota had four guys that were just flat out better than Michigan had one, whatever it was. So we get a lot of that regionally that, oh, my gosh, why would USA Hockey do that? That's not what we need in New York. Well, more often than not, what we're trying to do is just provide a foundation, a base, a direction that the whole country can then take and tailor within their region. So I'm definitely not passing the buck here, but what I'm saying is there are certain things we can affect and decide and certain things we can't. And I don't think we've done a good job of making people understand we all are USA hockey. You're part of USA hockey, right? Those coaches in the ring, they are USA hockey. And what we have to do better is get more people across the U.S., involved in the structure, in ASVONC. Don't just coach your team, but be involved in the administration of your association. Be involved in your district. Uh, Find out how can you help New York State Amateur Hockey Association, right? How can you help Mo Hockey? How can I help um, Maha in Michigan? Um, Because I think we have a tremendous number of really well-meaning hockey people out here, out there who just don't understand the structure and how to go about making things better. Cause I do think we can make things better. And I don't always think USA hockey does a good job of including everybody to, to help down that, that direction. Um, and then the last thing I would say, and this is pertains maybe directly to the American development model is, you know, it's funny, totally. You're really obviously very, very, up to date on what's happening in youth hockey, and yet you just told me you didn't really you didn't really know what I just said about high performance hockey and two tracks of the American development model. Yeah, that's an issue. That's an issue for us. How do we do that?
1: Get better, right? Toph. And... <laughs> <laughs> that's that's fault. Uh, I...
0: Brutal. Oh man, uh, I... so unprepared. <laughs> <But> I... <laughs>
2: I think if there are three things, maybe those are those are those should happen.
0: Awesome. Awesome. Well, I think, honestly, like, I think you, like you saying that will go a long way because we do have a lot of listeners specifically, you know, youth hockey coaches and youth hockey parents. And I think, you know, that goes a long way. The stuff that you just said in, in terms of, you know, what they think about things and, and just getting your perspective on things too. But, you know, USA Hockey's also done a really good job. I asked you both the strengths and the weaknesses. So (laughs) there's a lot of things that you guys are doing well. well. What, like, what are some of the things that you feel like... Like, USA Hockey has done, you know, well that other people can continue to, you know, continue to go down that path with you guys on the stuff that you've been doing, too.
2: Well, you know, i got to start with the American development model, but even more so boots on the ground. Like, uh, you know, the fact that we have these regional managers all over the United States that will now come to your association and talk to your coaches, talk to your parents, get on the ice with the kids. Get on the ice, please. Like, what is it you need? I think we have launched down this path of servicing our grassroots people uh, as well as anybody uh, in a nation of our size can do. And you know, I get this all the time. Right? I had a a, a guy from a small association in Michigan actually call up the president of Maha and say. how can we get Bob Mancini to our association? He hasn't come to our association in three years. And George Atkinson, the president said, have you asked him? And the guy's (laughs) like, no. You know, and, and, you know, that's all it takes right now. I mean, you know, give us a reason, give us an event, give us an audience, let us help these associations and i think we're doing that as well as we can at the grassroots level for the number of people we have and the message we have i think that's great i think the other thing we do and it's not perfect but i think we provide an outstanding structure of youth sports i mean if you look at uh, the number of people or kids that have joined hockey over the last four years. I think we're going on our fifth year of over 100,000 eight-year-olds playing the game. Um, Our retention rate of 10, 11, and 12-year-olds went from 36% back at the launch of the ADM to 84% now. That is huge numbers. So I think we've made hockey more accessible. I think we've made hockey more fun. And I think we've given more people a direction where kids will enjoy the experience and stay in the game. Um, I'm not so sure we have to do anything more. Yeah. We provide insurance. Yeah. We provide administration. We have great national championships, by the way, there's a great structure out there for you to win a state championship at how many levels. I mean, just in Michigan alone, they have the tier one state championships, tier two state championships. They have a house rec state championship, I mean, you're giving kids great youth hockey experiences. And not that winning is the only thing, but it certainly is part of the youth hockey experience. But um, so what's going on with our numbers, I, I think, is just a testament to what youth sports should be. And if we go back nine and a half, ten years, you know, one of the tenets of the ADM was very simply give youth sports back to the youth. Right? It's not about me. It's not about you guys. It's not about the parents. It's not about the administrator. How can we make the youth sports experience, the youth hockey experience, better for our kids? I love and that. I think say Hockey has done that better than anyone in the last 10 years.
0: Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE.
1: I love that, Bob. And I, I took a couple takeaways from what you just said there. One, anyone out there. All you got to do is just text Bob and say, when are you coming? Because he'll be there, apparently. (laughs) (laughs) Be careful what you wish for. Be (laughs) careful what
0: you say
1: there, Bob. We got a lot of of listeners now, Bob. So uh, you might be, your phone might be blowing up here. Um, Two is just, you know, again, to bring it back to perspective, you know, you said how many players we have in USA and trying to grow the game. And, and, you know, a lot of people who aren't happy with, you know, whatever, this whole model, it's like, well, there are so many players and it's actually such a good structure. And again, bringing it back to perspective, I played, I played in the U S my whole life, obviously growing up. Then I also played in Italy. I played in Norway. I played in Austria, Hungary, and Japan. So I've seen a lot of hockey and a lot of different countries and how they do it. And Literally none of those other countries have the structure that USA does. And it, it's like it's a structure that's teaching people how to not be structured so much. And and it's, you know, it's a structure that's trying to create all of these positive things in kids, creativity and hockey sense. And like, don't just look and, and, and just like look at the little, oh, it's cross ice for mites and you have to do this. It's like, yeah, but look at the whole picture. The structure is is there for a reason and it works and you know Toph's gonna talk about how many NHL players are coming out of the U.S. now I know he's got a stat or something because he's the cerebral guy on the show but it's it's clearly starting to work so Toph take it away
0: (laughs) So, Bob, we have a lot of Americans in the NHL now. Why? <laughs> no, I mean, the, the, the amount of Americans that, um, you know, are playing in the NHL in the highest levels of hockey is, is you know, it seems like it's going up every year. Um, do you think that the ADM has something to do with that? But also, you know, I think the NHL has done a great job of, of spreading the, the gospel of hockey uh, as well. Like you have, you know, Austin Matthews, the number one overall draft pick from Arizona. Like what? That would not have happened 10 years ago, 15 years ago. But because the NHL moved, his, like I, I talk about the Wayne Gretzky trade all the time and how important that was for USA Hockey. So, like, do you think that both of those are the reasons why? Are there other reasons that you think are reasons why so many Americans are playing? In the NHL, know what what you've what do you think?
2: Well, I think a couple of things. The first thing is, I believe our relationship, USA Hockey's relationship with the NHL, is better and stronger than it's ever been. is It's more than a relationship; it's a partnership, and that partnership has helped USA Hockey drive hockey to the forefront, or as much to the forefront as people's minds in the U.S. that we can. So. I don't think we can discount that USA hockey um, NHL relationship. It's, it's huge for kids. Uh, You know, I mean, for example, every time an American team wins a Stanley cup the next year, we see a big bump in registration of youth hockey players and kids getting into the game. Right. So that, that relationship, that partnership is, is really important. But um, you know, I I listen to Dr. Stephen Norris a lot and, and he talks about, there are three things that can happen for you to be a world power in sport, right? The first is population. The next is money. And the third is social significance. Now, we don't have social significance in hockey. I mean, it's me, the two of you, everybody listening to this podcast and a few thousand others across the United States who love the game, right? It's not football. It's not baseball. Canada has social significance tied to hockey right? Russia has social significance inside to hockey. But all you need is two out of those three things to become a world power in a, in a, in a sport. We certainly have population. We certainly have the money. So we have rinks. We have infrastructure. Um, I think the dawn of making hockey relevant in that partnership with the NHL, and then you look at us having two of the three major uh, uh, social factors or, or um, environmental factors really sets up a wonderful foundation, uh, for us. So I think that, I think that the ADM came at the exact right time as more kids get in the game. Uh, we were at a bit of a standstill, not just how we train kids, but getting kids in the game. So it's all this combination uh, this convergence of all these things at the right time, I think will continue to move hockey, hockey forward. The interesting thing about the ADM is you're just now seeing the O one borns, the O2 borns, the O three borns are really the early adapters of ADM principles, right? Um, they wouldn't have had it their whole hockey life, but they would have had bits and pieces of it. It would have been introduced to them, for these kids right around the age eight, nine, 10, those three birth years, I think we'll see even more of an uptick of NHLers uh, being American or Americans in the NHL, because as the ADM, uh, matures through, you know, with these players getting older, we'll see a greater, a greater number. We're already seeing at our national camps, we're already, and this is, you know, I mean, I can't back this by stats. This is, This is purely just from us watching camps and seeing what's happening and the feedback from our national team coaches. It's clear we're producing more better players by the numbers uh, that we have at our national camps and how much better those players are. Our decisions for all-star games at the national camps is way more difficult now than it's ever been. The decisions of the cutoff of players coming to the national team tryouts at 15 years old is harder and more difficult than it's ever been. Um, There are a lot of players out here. Our base has grown so great, it's just natural that we would be developing more players. I think the next key is how do we develop more superstars? Right, That's the next thing. We're developing a great number of players, and we're developing a good number of superstars, but let's all be selfish out there And let's develop even a greater number of great players, but even a greater number of superstars. I think that's our next step.
0: Okay, so I have a question for you when it comes to this, because this is something that I I think about a lot, and I think is actually an inhibitor to what you're talking about, and wanting to get more superstars, and that's the cost of hockey. Um, I think the way that you get the best superstars is to make sure that the best athletes are playing hockey. And I don't think it's a secret that the cost of hockey right now is becoming absolutely insane. And it's just going to drive more and more people and more and more better athletes that could end up being superstars um, out of the game. So is that something that you guys think about or talk about? Is that something that makes sense to you? Is that something that you guys feel is a problem as well? I know you talk about the numbers are getting bigger and bigger and bigger, and that's great. But... I almost think that there's going to be at some point a tipping point, at least at the elite level of where you get your superstars, where people just, they they can't afford it. And so they'll turn to a basketball or a football or a baseball or some of these other sports that might be more cost effective, or even lacrosse. I mean, lacrosse is getting huge, too. Um, What are your thoughts on something like that?
2: Well, I think you're right on it. Uh, USA Hockey recognizes it. The barrier to intro to hockey, and the barrier to continued hockey, is great, and it is a constant source of conversation through our membership department. It's a constant source of conversation discussion in our relationship with the NHL because it's not just. I, I mean, you got so many great try hockey for free programs, learn to skate programs. You have. Uh, U.S. teams all over the nation giving hundreds and thousands of free equipment out to kids to start the game. And that's a great start, right? Yep. If we can take away some of that barrier to intro, but there are other barriers too. And, you know, TOFA, we don't have the answer yet. We recognize it's a problem, it's a big topic of conversation and discussion all the time. But we don't have the answer. Now, we have a lot of little things that'll help, like the NHL program for free equipment, like Try Hockey for Free Day, uh, information out to the associations about, hey, um, how do we transfer the kid at Try Hockey for Free into a hockey program that's affordable for his first few years to get him. So he loves the game. Well, then that next Barry is, Oh my God, it's only me $99, $199, $299. And then all of a sudden my kid gets pretty good and he goes and he tries out for a team and the coach has his first meeting. and he says, next season it's going to cost you 4,000. Right? Like that's a shock to people. And it, <laughs> and it should be. So, yeah. um, you know, there's different levels of this problem and, uh, USA Hockey is attacking the problem. The NHL is attacking the problem. The ADN even attacked the problem, right? And, of course, we got bashed for this early. But, hey, why do we only have 12 eight-year-olds on a full sheet of ice when we can fit 48 to 60 and not only give them as good training but actually give them better training, you know? Yeah. So, you know, and it's really funny. I, excuse me. Just one more thing. It was really funny when that got launched because – for every program out there that put more kids on the ice and either kept the cost the same or brought the cost down, there were programs out there who put more kids on the ice, kept the cost the same, or increased the cost so their bottom line got better. And then when parents complained about the cost and the number of kids on the ice, they blamed the ADM.
1: Well, of course.
2: <laughs> exactly. But, I mean, exactly. Exactly. I- that and... There is a, there is a chance that as a group, we may have been the second shooter on the grass, you know,
1: <laughs> <laughs> I, I, mean, I, I think, you know, yeah, hockey, the cost of hockey absolutely disgusts me. Like, I mean, I understand, I don't actually understand, but like I, you know, inflation prices go up every year, you know, that's Tulsa area expertise. He went to Cornell, uh,
0: but I don't think so, dude. <laughs> sociology, sociology got me through <laughs>
1: continue with the bore but like, so part of my, part of my whole thing, you know, I'm back with, like I said, with the eighteens and I, I'm a strength coach for, you know, our whole AAA organization is we're always looking to travel and traveling is a massive cost. You know, you got to pay for hotels, you got to pay for food on the road, you got to pay to get into tournaments, like whatever. And I just think we got to start thinking differently. Like instead of going out of town, three out of four weekends with 16 year olds, maybe just go out of town once a month And, you know, I've never been a huge fan of those showcases, but as far as exposure for scouts and how you can get so many scouts at one place, I do understand, like, those in-season tournaments. So maybe instead of going out of town two out of four weekends, you only go out of town one out of four during the season, and then maybe you just add another showcase at the end towards the end of the season so they have, you know— um exposure to a hundred scouts at one place but i just think like traveling like we're always like oh we got to go play this team we got to go play that team and this is where everybody's going to be and you know that's traveling is a huge expenditure on the teams on the budgets on everything so if we can somehow get people to think well if you really want to develop the kids maybe you just play an in-town team one weekend a month, and maybe you, you play one game on the weekend, you practice, and you work out, because that's going to develop the kids way more than traveling, playing four games in a weekend every weekend, coming home, playing high school hockey, doing all over again. I just think that that, you know, maybe, maybe enforcing, like, not traveling as much could help with that from that side of things. I don't know. Well, that's
2: one of the, hid- that's one of the hidden costs. I think you're right on. Really interesting, San Jose Junior Sharks Association being where they are, they, at one time, were traveling three out of four weekends a month on a plane, Ew. right? Getting on a plane, these kids going to play tournaments. And they started after USA Hockey, and at the time, our, our ADM director was Ty Hennis, who's now the coach with the uh, Pittsburgh Penguins, skills coach with the Pittsburgh Penguins. And, uh, you know, they were being counseled about, well, why are you doing that, right? And all of a sudden, they moved to this model where they travel once a month. They get on the plane once a month. And the other three weekends, they would practice. And two things happened. The, the cost of hockey went down. They, were more, uh, they did more research in the tournaments they should go to make sure all their games were meaningful. And you know what else happened by practicing those three extra weekends? Their kids got better. Right? Yes. So yes. Like, there are ways, Jeff. Like, there are absolutely ways that we can bring common sense to youth hockey. And sometimes that's all that is. You know, we took a, lo- a big hit when we first said, "Might should travel, like why travel? It's might hockey. There's might teams everywhere, right? Yes. And coaches and parents went nuts Ugh. on us. Well, what do you mean? You, you know, travel, 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 travel. And you know, again, mistake on our part, you know, we didn't say you shouldn't go someplace every once in a while and stay at a hotel so the kids can swim and the parents can drink. That's OK. That's OK. You shouldn't you. You shouldn't just be doing
1: it every weekend. That was right? toast. Dad, I don't know if you heard the podcast. Before, but that was toast. Mom and dad uh, leading the charge to the bar, getting the team camaraderie for the parents going. Oh, yeah, absolutely. That's, well, Tom has to do it. I mean, it, It's an important part.
0: <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Well, it's interesting because living up here in in uh, central New York, you know, the, there's no perfect solution to you know the best model for you know how to develop these kids because there's a real big push and pull between you know kids playing high school hockey and then kids playing you know triple A year round and you know it's different in in obviously all the different uh, areas of the US but it's been interesting observing it because this is kind of the first year or two that we've been doing this and you know, what we have is, you know, we've allowed our kids, if they wanted to play high school hockey during the middle of the season, that they can play high school hockey. Like I coach a triple A team, but we have allowed it. So we're taking a break kind of from a lot of the, you know, two or three days of practice and traveling and, and all that kind of stuff. And the kids who want to play high school, they can. And then the kids that either don't want to play high school or the kids that don't have access to play for a high school team, you know, they got in the, they get on the ice and they do a small group training session with Chris Collins, who's the head coach of the team. And it's been absolutely unbelievable to see how much better those kids have gotten in even the two or three months that we've been kind of breaking for the high school season here, like those kids have taken an astronomical leap in their skill development and in, in their play. And it's just really interesting to see because they've we've eliminated a lot of the games. We've eliminated a lot of the team practices. Like we only practice once a week as a team now because a lot of the kids are playing high school and they don't need to be on the ice a million times a week. So, but the kids who are doing the small group stuff, you know, in the couple of the times that we played, during during this time on the weekends their jump has been unbelievable. So I think it just kind of goes to even like having this conversation and what we're talking about, more practice, more skill development, you know, Mm -hmm. and I've, I've seen it. Eamon Powell, who is on the national team development program right now, is one of the top defensemen in the country at the O2 level. That's what he did last year. You know, they took a big break from the team three days a week practices during the middle of the year. And he just trained small group sessions, two or three times a week and got into the weight room and, and all that kind of stuff. And, like the, the it's leaps and bounds of what I've seen. So I, I, I know I'm making sense to you guys right here, but just for everybody that's listening, like the winter time, it's not about all the travel and the games and stuff. You want to get better. Like you got to just practice and have fun and get in the weight room. And you know, the whole model that we have right now, like forget it, like train, get better, have fun. I don't know.
1: Especially so, cause Toph, you always say, if you're good, all the scouts talk, They all know who's good. So if you're going out of town once a month or twice a month instead of four times a month or three times, they're still going to find you. They're still going to know who you are. It's a small network. I mean, I'm sitting on here talking to you. I met Bob a few months ago. Like you you just – it's – hockey world is so small. But also at the same
0: time too, at the same time too, like these kids where they were in September – based to where they are right now, having not gone not traveled all this time and not doing three team practices a week where you're not getting a ton of skill development stuff, you're focusing more on systems. Like where these they're so much better now than they were two months ago, three months ago. So you talk about if you're good, you're going to get found. Well, the first part of that is important. You got to be good, <laughs> you know? Yeah, so, get, you get good. <laughs> so like watching these kids <laughs> progress and watching how much they've gotten better in, in focusing on the skill stuff uh-huh. and not playing all these games. I mean, it's just been a, cause we've always believed in that, but now I have like a experiential, you know, thing that I've seen and I, I've seen how much better they've gotten. It's been amazing.
2: Mike Boyle tells a great story, uh, a fictitious story, about a guy who's a coin collector and finds a penny, and he finds this rare penny, and it's, you know, it's covered in rust, and it's dirty, so he brings it to a coin collector in his town, and the guy says, eh, that's a nice penny, it's an okay penny, but I'm not sure it's really worth that much. So the guy goes home, and a week later, he notices there's another a coin show, but this one's three hours away. So he gets in his car and he brings the penny down and he goes to this coin show and he has to stay overnight and pays for gas, pays for hotel and he shows the penny around and everybody says, well, it's a nice penny, but not a great penny. And, you know, and then he goes home and then he finds out two weeks later, there's another coin show, but this one he has to get on a plane and fly to. So he gets on a plane, he flies to, he gets two nights at hotels, meals, everything else. The cost to go to this coin show shows the coin around, doesn't, you know, same, same reaction. So he goes home and he says he doesn't know what to do so he spends the next two weeks cleaning the penny right well what's going to happen same thing with hockey players it's the same thing we spend all this time going around for exposure 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 this tournament that tournament everything and we don't make our kids get better at their craft and let's face it it really is a craft so what you're saying I mean, I don't want to dismiss some of the stuff you we've talked about today. Some of the stuff we talked about the ADM, but at some point, isn't it not bringing common sense to you sports?
1: <laughs> uh, yes, a hundred percent. And I love, that you brought, <laughs> I, lo- I love that you brought up Mike Boyle. Cause like, he's my, my personal, Jeff item. got uh, so
0: excited when you brought Mike Boyle up. That's like his yeah. hero. <laughs>
1: <laughs> he's the best. And, uh, so we had him on episode 12 of our podcast and, uh, Side story, my computer died in the middle. That it was the most embarrassing moment, literally, of my adult life. Um, but, anyways, so, so Mike Boyle, like, and again, you just said, like, simplify it, like, just bring common sense. And I've been saying this to the kids in my organization, all of them, and it actually, like, it made so much sense to them. And it was just, you know, simplifying it. He said, fill up the empty buckets. What bucket are you putting it to right now? And, and, you know, most kids, it's not, well, I'm skating like nine times a week and there's only seven days and they're not working out. The kids were 15, 16, 17. And I, I, I say to them, well, what bucket are you putting all your energy into? Okay, well, you know, skating hundred million games. Okay, well then why are you all skinny and not strong enough to compete at juniors for next year? You know, or, or you don't, you're not working on your balance because you're not filling up that empty bucket of training off the ice and nutrition and those things. So it kind of goes along the same lines here. Like what bucket are we not filling up? And let's fill that up. You know, the kids are getting enough games. TJ Oshie just put something out with his company. I I don't even know what it's called on Instagram because Muncie tagged me in it um, talking about how he doesn't think kids need to be playing 90, 60, 80 games a year, like play other sports, like work out, like learn about your body, all these other things. Fill up the empty buckets and you will get better.
0: Yeah. Yeah, for sure. Well, Bob, we've, we've, we've taken a lot of your time, but there's, there's another question that I wanted to ask you because we've talked about it a lot on the podcast and, and, you know, this is, you know, we've talked about a lot of the the strengths and the weaknesses of, of USA hockey and and all that stuff. But, you know, one thing that I think is, is, you know, needs to be talked about, and that's the culture of youth hockey right now. Um, I I think it's pretty toxic and I think if you, you know, I know it's toxic toxic here in in upstate New York and central New York because I'm living it, Um, you know, and and just from talking to people around the country, you know, people are dealing with a lot of different stuff between, you know, just just the way that the culture is and how professionalized it's getting and how much money has gotten into it and stuff like that. So I I wanted to have a bit of a conversation with you just about the youth hockey culture in general And, and the first thing that I wanted to ask you, and this is a question that we get all the time and we've talked about on the podcast too is the tryout rule right so the tryout rule right now i believe is it's either 24 or 48 hours after the national tournament happens you're allowed to have your tryouts which most teams actually do and everybody that we talk to is like it's the you know forgive me for for my language here but they're like that's the dumbest thing i've ever heard (laughs) so um you know (laughs) so the the tryout rule like what is the basis of that rule Um, explain to me why that rule is in place and why it's not – later on in the year, um, because, you know, USA Hockey also tries to take a stand against recruiting, like you're not allowed to recruit and you can't talk to other teams, kids, and we can't form these super teams and all this kind of stuff. But at the end of the day, like it it happens and it has to happen because you can't, you can't recruit a team in 24 to 48 hours after the season's over. So it doesn't make any sense. So talk to me a little bit about the tryout rule, why it's in place um, and, and the pros and cons of it.
2: Gosh, I don't even know where to start. Um, (laughs) So, you know,
0: we're we're governed by
2: committees that have votes and discussions, right? So often a rule starts as something and gets so convoluted and so changed because, you know, your view of that rule in New York is probably very—no, I know it's very different than the view of that— rule in Michigan. And, and that view is really different than the view of that rule in Minnesota. Um, So let me just say, I don't think it's a great rule. It's not a perfect rule right now. It's the rule we have, and there are good reasons behind it. And the reason is to try to start to have more of a tryout culture than a recruiting and commitment culture. And I think that was one of the reasons why it started. And, you know, tampering with players, trying to give associations a chance to hold on to their players and develop them instead of losing to coaches, losing players to coaches who may not be great coaches, but are great recruiters. So in our youth hockey environment, the parent thinks they're great coaches and we all have them, right? We all have guys in youth hockey who are unbelievable recruiters put together good teams year after year and on the outside they're oh man is he ever a good coach well no he's not he just amalgamated all the best players that's what he did <laughs> right so it was it was the beginning of trying to bring some sense to some of the problems we had nationwide i have to be honest and say i think it's one of those rules and it's so different across the nation everywhere it's under attack in a lot of different players. So, I, I can defend the theory and the thought behind going down this road. I don't know if I can honestly defend the rule. I think it has a lot of flaws. I think the intent was very good, and I want to talk about that intent because the intent is very important. And you both have experience with this. And Jeff, I'm sure, and you're coaching who you're coaching now it's on the forefront or in the forefront of your mind, which is this. We have a lot of areas in the country where our kids don't know how to try out and it hurts them down the road, right? They, they got recruited at nine to be on the best 10 year old team. Then they switched and played on a different team for 11. They may or may not have been for that team at 12. And at 13, another association offered them a free jacket and at fourteen, they went to the father and said, We'll pay your ice bill. And the kid is known what team he's gonna be on the following season, somewhere between December and February of the current season he is. So how about his development if the focus on where he's gonna play next year instead of what he's doing this year? And then all of a sudden, they get to eighteen and then they go on to junior and they show up at a A combine or a camp or a training camp, and two days in, they're sent back home, and the kid is like, "I I just got here." That's a phenomenal. Yeah, I was uh, right. Or how about the meeting you have with that kid, and you say, "Listen, I don't think you're ready for this level," and the look of shock on their face because it's the first time they've had a tryout, the first time they've had this meeting, and. Even at the NHL level, at the American League level, when I was with the Oilers, to have kids look at you and go, kids, adults, I just got here. You didn't give me a chance. Yeah, we did. We gave you two scrimmages. That's it? Yeah, that's life. Like, you showed us nothing. And that's happening to our kids. And I feel bad for them because they go to these North American League camps, they go to these USHL camps, and they have no idea how to try out and it hurts our best players.
1: That's such a good point, And it's so funny. So we had a NAHL um, head coach, uh, Butch Letizia, Mike Letizia on, uh, you know, like two or three episodes ago and Tolf and him got to reminiscing about a story of tryouts in how old were you guys with Mike Brown? We were in
0: Bantam majors,
1: Bantam majors. So it came down to the last spot on the team for Bantam majors and the head coach had, the other 18 guys who were already on the roster practicing. And then in the other end, he had a one-on-one tryout going on. One of those guys who wound <laughs> up, who made the team was Mike Brown. Guess who was the only guy to play on the NTDP to play at university of Michigan and play in the NHL for not only in the NHL, a sustainable career was Mike Brown. And I posed the question, well, Hey, do you think that that had something to do with it that instilled and taught him to be resilient and mentally tough? And, you know, I'm not one of these people who's like, Oh, we're wussifying our kids by coddling them. Like, I think there's gotta be a healthy balance, like everything in life, um, because of all the anxiety and ADD and all that stuff that we have now. But, there's something to be said, like you're saying, to put kids through the ringer kind of, you know, if they fail, it's going to make them better when they're older. If they want it, the kids who want it, they'll work harder to get better, to make it next year. And those are the kind of people that we want to be, um, fostering their development as people and as hockey players. So like, I love that, but I understand the whole recruiting thing, you know. That's just a joke, I'm, but I, that's again, that's parents' ego or coaches' egos, whatever parents' egos. But going along with that, if we move tryouts back, and you know, obviously there'd be pushback. But saying, you know, we're not having USA Hockey does not allow AAA tryouts or whatever tryouts until August first. Then we're always talking about development. USA Hockey's about development. You're giving kids from their last game in whatever's the last game—I don't know—March, April until August first to develop. Your whole goal is to develop. Now they can develop all summer long and then they go to tryouts and then they battle out for it. And I think tryouts need to be harder. And you know, I, I never liked the list being posted when I was a kid, but I, that probably made me more mentally tough going up there and seeing, Hey, I got cut. Parents said, well, work harder, <laughs> you know, work smarter. Yeah. Um, I, I think that that would help with development personally. I know Tolf wants to move tryouts back too, but, um, you know, that story about Mike Brown, it's literally exactly what you're saying.
0: So but let let me ask so you let, that. So why let's, why let's, or why why aren't the tryouts in August? Like why why is the rule still okay, the rule? So and can it change?
2: Well, yeah, it absolutely can change, but it's going to be a cultural change. I want to go to back to Mike Brown for a second. You may have to remind me to get back to this point. But what year was this tryout we're talking about, for Mike Brown?
0: Oh boy, that would have been uh, probably ninety nine, two thousand, right around there. So,
2: I mean, was he a Bantam? Was it a midget?
0: Bantam, yeah. We were Bantam Bantam majors that year. And completely understand that 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 would be frowned upon today.
2: (laughs) No, but how about this statement? He was trying out for the 18th spot as a 14-year-old, right? Or a 13-year-old. Yeah. He was trying out for the 18th spot. So, theoretically, let's say those decisions were absolutely right on at that time. Mike Brown was the 18th best player on that team as a 13 or 14 year old. Talk about the hidden development. We don't talk about enough. Mike Brown wasn't the best player at 13. He wasn't the best player at 12 or 11 or 10, right? Like that statement in itself should hit every youth parent and every youth coach over the head with how important development is at every age. Absolutely played in the NHL. And at 14, he wasn't even one of the best 18 players in that one team. That's amazing. Right? I mean, that's long-term athlete development. Okay. The tryout rule. So theoretically we would, I, I, and I don't want to speak for everybody at USA hockey, but the ADM guys have this conversation a lot, right? The old idea of having tryouts in the fall and hockey being that seasonal sport where you you work out all summer and you get ready and then you have tryouts. Um, it makes so much sense theoretically. It's it's a great great visual. Uh, a kid is five foot eight and he's not really hasn't done much in the spring. Um, And he doesn't make the team, and he comes back in the fall and he's grown three inches, and his body he's become coordinated and he's become more of an athlete because he played baseball all summer or looked for whatever, right? We all know those stories, and they're true and they're great. But there's we live in a society right now where parents want to plan, and coaches want to plan what it's going to be like next year, right? So from a theoretical standpoint, from a, a practical or a theoretical standpoint of would it be better for the kids and for the teams? Yeah, we can all make that argument. Would it be better for the hockey environment? Absolutely, we could all make that environment. Although we'd be kidding ourselves to be saying that that team wouldn't already be picked anyway. But there is one issue, and we don't talk about it enough, and I don't know which way it'll go, but it is a real issue. Will the kids do the right thing in the summer? Are we promoting more 12-month hockey players by moving that tryout to August or September? Will parents and kids and coaches, or will coaches prey on those kids and parents? You've got to be on the ice. Give me another $1,200 to be on the tournament team in July. Would we just be facilitating more of the wrong things? Do we maybe in the situation we have now, do kids maybe take a couple of months off? Do they get in the weight room and work out? Do they get out in the track and become great sprinters? Do they play other sports? Some kids, yes. Some kids, no. Um, So theoretically, Topher, I'm with you 100%. We have to change the culture, the environment, the tryouts. We have to change what it is. Practical reality, I think we're a long way from getting this done.
0: I No, I, I understand that. But, you know, the, the thing that, that gets me is the first two things that you say is like, would it be better for the kids? Yes. Would it be better for the culture? Yes. So to me, like those are the two questions that that's why it should change. You know, and I get the reality and stuff, but as USA Hockey, it's about, you know, setting a course for what's right and Getting people to buy into that kind of thing, and I understand that if you know you move the tryouts back to August, there's going to be a plenty of people out there that are going to be doing the wrong things and charging people twelve hundred dollars, like you said. You have to come to these tryouts if or these camps this summer if you want to make my team in an, in August and, and stuff like that. But I think it's about educating people that that's not the way to go, and you know educating people that you know the right way to do it is that you have to earn it like you have to earn your spot on the team and you have to develop and no it's not about playing hockey you're not going to develop by playing hockey for another three months in the summer it's about getting in the gym and becoming an athlete and doing other sports so like for me it's like where's the media where's the happy medium and i think i think usa hockey needs to get people to educate people and get people to buy into the right way to do things because like you said the first thing you said is it best for the kids yes is it best for the culture yes okay
2: so so let's stop right there i think everything we do at usa hockey everything we do at the grassroots level everything we do at the association level we should ask ourselves is this good for the kids and if it is we should continue on and if it isn't we should stop there and go back and re you know relook at the question 100% or the we're yeah solving. Okay, yep. 100%, and and it's not that. The second thing, though, and this is what's really interesting, facts don't win arguments. Emotions do. All right? We have a competition model in the United States that is driven by the entrepreneurs. All right? It's not driven by youth hockey professionals, sports scientists, and development direction. Right? Yep. It's... It's driven by the entrepreneurs. Coaching has become an industry, not a profession. Kevin McLaughlin in our office says all the time, he has nothing against people making money. What he has against is it becoming this industry, this full-time profession of coaching nine and 10-year-olds. All right? And then a little facetiously here, but uh, Topher, you brought it up. Hey, why don't we do this? Right, It makes sense. It's good for the kids. How about we ask Jeff's uncle, Tim, how that argument played out for cross-ice hockey for eight and under? How'd that play out in Illinois? Right. So, hey, I'm with you. Should we do it? Yes, let's all do it. But don't think for a minute we're not going to have one of the biggest uproars in the United States to change that culture than we've ever had. I'd be willing to bet it'll be a bigger uproar than cross ice and half ice hockey was. Doesn't mean it's not right. And it doesn't mean we shouldn't try it, but we're fooling ourselves. And I don't want to play devil of advocate Tulsa because please understand I am with you 100%. Oh yeah, I know. Okay. But, but you know, what's good and bad about USA hockey. This is, this is one of the things, bring that up to a vote and, Let's see what the entrepreneurs say about that. Talk about lobbying. Talk about getting it wrong for the kids. You know, I don't want to get on my soapbox here, but this is a this for me is a very emotional discussion, right?
0: No, absolutely, and it and it is for us too, and that and that's why we you know wanted to ask the question because we're passionate about it because like we think that I mean we talk about this all the time that the fact that youth hockey has become a business. And it has become an industry, and it's becoming an industry more and more by the day. So what can we do? And and that's what we're trying to do. That's why we do this podcast. That's why we have the website. It's all about educating people, you know, about what we believe is the right way to do the best things for the kids, right? So, like, again, how do we – how can we help USA Hockey? How can the people listening help USA Hockey to, you know – spread the message of you know the tryout rule or you know it's not a business it's about the kids it's not about adult ego like what can we as because it's got to come from the grassroots level we have to educate people that these entrepreneurs that are sucking every dollar out of every parent and and making them you know so anxious and stressed about where to play next year and what the best thing to do to get my kid to play in the nhl is and all that kind of stuff like what are some tangible things that we can do to help you guys, and what are some tangible things that our listeners can do to help spread that that gospel that hockey's not a business. It's a sport for kids to learn life lessons. It's a sport for kids to connect with other kids. it's It's about mentorship and all that kind of stuff. What can we do to help spread that message?
2: We have to, we have to stand up and be strong. We have to have the courage of our uh, convictions of when we know something is wrong, We have to stand up and not be part of it. And when we know something is right for our child, we have to follow down that road no matter what. And that's a very difficult thing to do because when your child makes a team and you're excited and the coach comes to you and says, all right, our spring season is this and our summer season is that, parents don't want to or can't say, well, we don't play spring hockey. My son plays baseball. Because the coach will say, oh, then you'll lose your spot. Or your kid's going to be behind. Even though all the science and all the facts point to the fact that it's better for your kid at a young age to go play another sport, he'll be a better hockey player. Will it take him two weeks to catch up to the kid that played hockey for two more months? Yeah, it'll take him two weeks. Listen to what, what kids do, right? They adapt. They change. They adapt quickly. They catch up right? A kid at nine that goes through four weeks of hockey school and, and, you know, plays year round, he shows up in the fall. Is He going to be better than the kid that played baseball and lacrosse for the first two weeks, three weeks, four weeks. Absolutely. Let's look at him again in October and November. And you tell me who's better, right? We know that we know that, but we're afraid to stand up. And I'll tell you a little personal story. Before the age of 13, I would not let my son play spring hockey. All right. At 13, I let him play spring three on three with his buddies. Cause he wanted to do it right. Starting at 13. All right. But you know what? I had to pay for spring hockey when he was 10, 11 and 12. And I gladly, <laughs> I Ew. gladly wrote the check and said, here, I'll see you in September. Ew. Right? Uh, yeah, I, I but but I know it's dirty to even think about that. But until we have more parents who stand up and say this is wrong, right? We're going to continue to go down that. And and you know what? I'm not against, by the way. I'm not against spring and summer hockey. I'm against spring and summer coaching. Right? Yeah. Our yeah. kids don't play too much hockey. They play. They have too much coaching. If you want my kid to come when he can, when he doesn't have a baseball game, and you want, you're want you going to let him get on the ice and play three-on-three, three, throw the pucks out with his buddies, and you're going to sit and have coffee? I'm in. When I'll bring him, right? But if you're going to put him on the ice and he's going to get three more months, two more months of standing in line and practicing breakouts, sorry to say it, but screw you. You're playing baseball.
1: <laughs> yeah, I mean, coming, right? coming, coming from somebody like myself who – who I wasn't as naturally skilled as Tolf, like I wish I won't lie to you. I wish that. And again, I wouldn't have started it. Like if I could choose now looking back, tell my younger self, maybe start around like 12 or 13 doing one skate a week with the skill guy in the summer, just one. And that would be my only skate in the summer. I think I, you know, again, if my parents would have the money and the time and all that, I would have wanted to do that. And then on top of that, you know, work out and play other sports um, cause I think that that re- really would have helped me and knowing myself, you know, being a higher level triple a player by that time, my goal was to, to play division one and to try and play pro hockey. So, I mean, I don't have a problem with that, but the kids who were going to hockey camps all summer long and spring hockey and this and that, and just nonstop still at the rink as many days as they are during the season. I mean, I really think that's too much, but me personally, one skill session a week in the summer. I mean, I'm, I'm actually for that personally.
2: Well, and it depends on the kid, and it depends yeah, totally. on the skill instructor, totally. and it depends on the age of the kid, right? I mean, all of yes. that. I, I won't discount what they're saying, but I think like everything else, we don't, and we didn't talk about it on this podcast, and I think part of the reason we didn't talk about it is between the three of us, and I'm sure the majority of your listeners, right? We, we didn't talk about age appropriateness, but in reality, everything we talked about was about age appropriateness. Yeah. And this
1: is another topic where that really does come into play. Yeah. Uh, Bob, we could probably talk to you for like six hours. And <laughs> <laughs> this is by far the longest we've ever recorded with anyone like that. I mean, that's a testament to you though. And your speaking ability and um, for anyone that, I don't know, like I guess you just cover certain territories, but anyone out there, if Bob's speaking somewhere, get to see him. He's passionate. He made this the, the whole time that he was speaking fun um, you know, I can't, I can't say the same about all the presenters at the level one clinic that I had to go to, but I'll tell you what, I came out of there and I tweeted something about Bob and it kind of blew up. And I was just like, this guy, I love the way he's thinking. He's for the kids. Um, he cares. He's about long-term development for both the kids who are on a track to possibly play higher level hockey and for the kids who, you know, are recreational players, something that Toph didn't know. Booyah, what's up?
0: Oh, hey. (laughs) Well, I think too, I think it's important, and we talked about this. uh, Yeah, we talked about this like before we even came on the air is that, you know, I've been very open about the, you know, why I left coaching in college, um, about the travel and being able to be home with family and stuff like that. And Bob was an assistant coach and a head coach in college and certainly knows about those travels. And even talking before we came on here, like Bob travels more spreading the gospel of USA hockey and, and, you know, going to work with organizations. And doing things at the grassroots levels than he even did as an assistant coach in college. So that just goes to show you how committed, you know, a lot of these people at USA Hockey are to to you know spread the love of the game and educate people. And, and I'm sure there are better ways and, and other things that we could be doing better to do that. Um, but you know, we're we're big believers in, in what you guys are doing. Um, you know whatever, again, whatever you guys are doing, we're trying to fill in the gaps and we're trying to also keep spreading that, that messages of development and fun and it's not a business and, and, and things like that. And the one thing I will say too, though, is, you know, you talk about having to have convictions and standing up to things and you talk about the tryout rule and imagine the blowback that you'll get if you do make that tryout rule in August. Well, we'll stand with you. You know, if you guys oh, yeah. end up right. making—if you guys end up making that decision, which I think we all can agree is, is probably the right decision—you know, we'll we'll stand right there with you, and we'll take our listeners to the next level, and and we'll try and spread that gospel as much as we can. Because uh, you're totally correct. It's about people standing up to the, these entrepreneurs who are trying to make this such a business and are drowning all the fun out of hockey. And uh, you know, I we got to change that rule. Jeez, Bob, I have <laughs> got a plan. I've got a plan, Bob.
1: <laughs> Let's have USA Hockey hold a hold a convention in Vegas. Pay for Tolf and I to come out to Vegas. Pay for our food, and we'll speak to everybody. (laughs) (laughs) See, now we got a plan.
2: Hey, hey, Jeff, is there an ABM manager maybe can accompany you on this plan? You you got one in mind? (laughs) His name rhymes
1: with Uh, Bob. Hey,
2: (laughs) he's coming. Hey, hey, you know the the other thing, and it's really interesting and. You guys can have a chuckle at this, but the, the two things, the one thing you said, it's your longest podcast ever. Just so you know, when my colleagues find that out, the amount of crap they're going to give me about that is going to be, <laughs> you know, unmanageable. Okay. Because I can go a lot of times and I appreciate your indulgence. Um, but the other thing I want to say, and, and please understand this is, this is true, to get a rule like that done, it would take. Lots of politicking, lots of conversations, lots of discussion, and it has to go through our entire board, which is a very large board. And it has to be vetted, would it be good for all of the United States? So we all know that. But I want to make a point here, because this happens to us at USA Hockey all the time. Last week, we had our our midwinter meetings. A big topic of discussion was the age of full body checking. And as you know, we moved it. Two years. It used to start at 11. Now it starts at 13. The American uh, Pediatric Society came out and said there shouldn't be full body uh, contact in any youth sport until the age of 16. Um, So we had our midwinter meetings where body checking was a big topic in every committee our health and safety committee, our youth council, our affiliate presidents, ADM meetings, coaches. It was everything. So we are just discussing, are we doing it right? Can we make it better? Does there change have to be? Should there be no change? We're discussing it. I cannot tell you how many rinks I've been in and how many messages I've gotten and phone calls. I've heard you guys are moving the body checking age to 16. That's not true. Just like our discussion here about moving the age change or moving the tryout date, right? Someone is going to listen to this and call me up and say, I can't believe you guys are moving the (laughs) tryout date. Right? So I got to be clear here. These are really important discussions that USA hockey has in their meetings. And these are great points that we have to have with people like yourselves and and your audience. So I appreciate you bringing it up, but I need to make it clear that still in discussion stage.
1: Absolutely. I mean, to to make decisions for an organization as massive as USA hockey and governing the whole United States, obviously, yes, things cannot change overnight and people have to understand that totally. I mean, that makes sense. But, you know, we wanted to talk to you and and throw you some softballs, some hardballs, get all different kind of balls, you know, thrown around here. (laughs) We just we we wanted, you know, because, you know, people can't always just be throwing daggers like like we said, perspective, like these decisions affect hundreds of thousands of hockey players however many there are I'm sure Toph knows the number off the back of his head Bill Nye the science guy obviously like,
0: I'm not very good at that this episode so <laughs> yeah, it, you gotta yeah, stop yeah. saying that
1: we <laughs> <laughs> studying before guests come on Topher um I do but uh <laughs> but but you know like we understand that but like our whole thing is we're not here to to just like nitpick and and we want to challenge in a positive way and get people to start thinking differently about development about you know hockey as as something that's going to develop children to be successful adults and you know i hope you don't think or usa hockey thinks that we're you know just like trying to tear it down you know we're just always trying to make things better and we did that as players on ourselves and we're trying to do it now for the hockey culture moving forward
0: yeah and what i'll add to that too is uh, or go ahead bob yep I was just going to
2: say, there's no way. I mean, we welcome those discussions. And, you know, there are things I'm very sensitive that, as we all are. But I think all of us, I will speak for all of us when we say, we appreciate what you're doing, and we really appreciate the light that you guys are shining, not just on youth hockey, but the positives of youth hockey. And having discussions on how we can make it better, that's what people who care about the game really do. So, you know, no, we all really appreciate this and big fans by the way.
0: <laughs> well, hopefully we can accompany you on some of your uh, your longer trips in the car, but the one thing I do want to add to is like if you have questions about USA hockey stuff, there's so much information on their website. You know, like I went on the website and I, I do all the time, but I went on it specifically for this interview too. Like in terms of coaching education, in terms of even Jeff, like, you know, off ice stuff in terms of what coaches can do, what parents can do. Like there's so much information on the website. Um, if you go to, was it usa usahockey.com or usa Hockey.org, I can't even remember which one it is. I just type in US and it goes right to it for me. So <laughs> um, uh, go to the website because there is so much information on there. In terms of all the stuff that we've been talking about and why USA Hockey makes the decisions that they do, um, what certain things are are important to USA Hockey. How whether it's development, whether it's culture, and you know nothing's perfect. That's the thing, right? Like nothing is perfect. And, and Bob, like you even alluded to earlier, what works in New York might not what might not be what works in minnesota or chicago or missouri or michigan or whatever it may be but you know we appreciate all the work that you guys are doing we appreciate your guys's passion for for the game of hockey because you know that's what jeff and i are doing that's why we're doing this podcast is we want to you know add a little positivity in the world and add a little bit of maybe sanity into the insanity of of the youth hockey world as well so um appreciate all that you guys are doing appreciate you coming on the podcast episode this is the longest one that we've had and i love it we got through so much stuff um, and uh, it's just really good I think it's really good for people to hear it straight from people at USA Hockey you know why you guys do some of the things that you do some of the things that um, are tough for you guys to do and and uh, you guys are doing a great job so thanks so much for all that you do thanks for coming on the podcast and uh, hopefully we can have a conversation at some point and see you in the rink at some point soon I hope so too thank you both very much all right thanks Thanks. a ton Bob have a good one